We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've been on, really, it's been like a race. You know, we, we took it in three weeks, and I'm thinking, man, we're going through the book of John little bit by little bit by little bit, but Ecclesiastes, we just really have sprinted through. And here are some of the common themes or core themes that we've reflected on as we've gone through the book. We, we understood that what is commonly accepted as the author is Solomon. He identifies himself as Koheleth in the book or the teacher. It teaches us, the book teaches us that everything is meaningless, fear God, enjoy life. And it's important because it teaches us that we can make much of this meaningless life by making much of God. And last week, one of the things that we looked at, one of the realities is that the author or the teacher came to the conclusion that wisdom is better than folly. And so we offered some wisdom in a few different arenas for us. And there was wisdom on relationships last week, wisdom on leadership, wisdom on how we talk and how we think, wisdom on how we live in the unknowns of life, along with wisdom of how we live in certainties. And now... Today, we draw towards the heart of the matter. If you have your Bibles, you want to take them, you want to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament. We're in chapter 12 today. And the teacher today has been walking us towards this final concluding chapter where he's going to lay out before us the heart of the matter. And he's going to do that by really engaging us in three questions as we break down this chapter this morning. And the first question is this, what does the inevitability of aging teach us about God? How many of you in here are aging, right? Something we all have in common, yes? And what does that inevitability of aging teach us about our God? And that's how he begins the chapter. And then in the middle, he talks about how he arranged and compiled that which he wrote. And so he answers the question of how was this book arranged and why is it helpful to us? And then finally, what is the true purpose and meaning of life? Wow, aren't you thankful you came today? We all want answers to that question. And he's going to address it at the very end of the chapter. So by now, I hope you have the Bible open to the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12. We're going to begin in verses 1 through 8. And before we read, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together today. It was wonderful to hear updates, Lord, from Tara. It was wonderful to hear from our choir, from our handbells, and from our team this morning to be drawn together into this place, into community, by your intentionality and purpose, so that we can celebrate the greatness of who you are. And indeed, as we approach this week and we approach Thanksgiving, we are thankful for your son, Jesus. And Lord, this morning, as we gather around your word, we're thankful for the book of Ecclesiastes. And we know that you intend to guide and direct our hearts and minds this morning as we gather around corporately as a body of Christ, uniting around your word. We pray that you would use your word through your spirit in a way that would cause us to change. Convict us, Lord, where we need to change. Show us a better way from your word this morning that we might leave here today 
together as a body, growing in a greater love for you and each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's take a look at the inescapable realities of aging. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, And the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through windows are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high. And terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. And desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel is broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. There's a prominent view in our culture and in our world today that says this, and maybe you've heard it. When I'm older, then, dot, dot, dot. When I'm older, let me wait until I get a little older. Let me wait until I get my life a little bit more together. Let me wait until I have all of my fun. As if we don't have fun when we're old. And then, and then. But the writer reminds us at the beginning of our text this morning, do not wait. The best years in Jesus are found in our youth. Don't wait till our old age. Or don't wait till we think that somehow we have our life put together. And now, now that all the fun and all those exciting young years are in my past, now I can follow Jesus. No. Remember the Creator In the days of your youth. Old age is coming. And as the writer describes so beautifully. Isn't that a beautiful eight verses of scripture? It's so poetic. And as he describes so beautifully for us. This aging process has a devastating effect on the mind. And the body. The teacher is doing much to remind us of the holistic effects of aging in this text. In the eyes of the teacher here, youth is viewed with great joy, while aging is viewed as evil. And he starts by showing that the rhythm of life 
is much like the rhythm of the seasons. In our youthful days, we're easily able to throw aside our troubles, easily able to cast our anxieties away, to just throw it all to the wind, holding on to the hope that tomorrow will be better. Tomorrow has better fortunes. And as we age, this hope begins to fade. The writer's describing that the rain comes as soon as it goes. It seems like as soon as the rain ends, that the clouds are dark and full again. And in verse 3, in verse 3, church, our bodies are compared to a house. What does he say? The keepers of the house tremble. The legs, our legs that so astutely once held us up and helped us to stand firm, they begin to weaken. Have any of you experienced that? Our arms that we so heavily relied on in our youth to be strong, to help us to lift, to help us to do so many things, they too begin to tremble and shake. That which we once performed with great ease, now takes extraordinary effort. Some of you sit here today and say, yes, yes. I used to go out and shovel the snow off my driveway, and it was nothing. Now I go out and do it, I need to take a four-hour nap. It's a lot of effort. There didn't used to be. How about those grinders? You know what he's talking about, those grinders? It's our teeth. Our teeth. The teacher's talking about our teeth. The grinders cease because they are few. (laughs) That's what he's saying. And Thanksgiving's on Thursday. (laughs) But what he's saying is even simple activities like eating have become more difficult. The brightness and the flavor of life is beginning to fade. Eyesight begins to go. He talks about seeing through a window, but only seeing dimly now. The many opportunities that we once enjoyed, all of the doors that we thought were open to us in our youth, when everything was available, we could do anything that we wanted with our lives, those doors, one by one by one, they closed, some permanently. And as tired as our bodies are, as weak as they are, as we age, sleep does not come easy. You think it would. But for whatever reason, some of us at night lay in bed and we're taxed by the anxieties of our lives, at our jobs, in our homes, with our families, and we cannot sleep because the anxieties of life have a hold of us. And for others, as we age, what keeps us from sleeping is the failing organs. We have to get up a few more times throughout the night to take care of things. It doesn't come as easy and as nice as it once did. And what does he say? The beautiful voices of the daughters of song begin to fade. What a beautiful choir we had up here today. 
And for those of you that are involved in music and that sing, you know this to be true. The older you get, the harder it is to bring that up, to get down in there and uproot the beauty that's down there and get it out for everybody. It becomes more and more difficult as we age. The writer continues, fear begins to creep in. That those things in life which we once attacked with great energy and vigor, now they seem insurmountable. Couldn't do it. Mowing the lawn, raking the leaves, weeding the garden, cleaning the house, doing the laundry, traveling. They become more and more difficult. And fear becomes a great paralyzer. The beautiful things that we once enjoyed now are sources of fear and anxiety as our grasshopper-like energy does what? Drags on. Right? Some of us once had energy like grasshoppers. I've heard some of you say to me as you watch our young children run around in the foyer, if I had just one little piece of their energy. But now in our age, we're dragging on Dragging on. Desire gives way to acceptance of the inevitable. We are all going home to our real home. And we're all leaving this alien land behind. These alien relationships and these alien tasks that the Lord has called us to here on earth. Here's the reality, church. We are going from this place to a place that we truly belong. We don't belong here. This is why aging is so destructive. This is not how it's supposed to be. This is temporary. We're moving towards our eternal homes. A place where beauty and glory collide in the wondrous mystery as we stand before our everlasting God face to face with Jesus. And the teacher describes for us here that yes, there, there will be mourners that are left behind. Those who are longing to find their permanent home too. Those who long for a physical reunion with their Messiah. And now in verse 7, it's about to happen. The end is near. It's interesting, in the Bible, you can trace themes. There are a lot of themes that go together in the Bible. And in the Bible, life always follows light and water. Anytime you see light and water, you find life. And look at how our teacher beautifully weaves this together in this passage. It's wonderful. First, he's taking us back into verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before your lamp goes out. Before the silver cord which held the lamp is broken. Before the golden bowl which held the water is broken. Before the pitcher once full of water is shattered. The wheel that operated the cistern to deliver the water to the pitcher for the bowl is also broken. One commentator remarked that the silver cord in this text is like our spine. 
the golden bowl, the head, the clay pitcher, the heart, the wheel at the cistern, the organs representing the complete failure of the body at death. And now, all of us, our entire being returns to that from which it came. Our bodies to the earth and our soul to God. And as our teacher began, so now he ends this portion in chapter 12. Remember, he began vanity of vanities all the way back in the beginning of chapter 1. And that word was hevel. We sat together. Hevel. And that theme was carried all throughout the book. And so as he began now, as he wraps it all the way back around into death, he ends with the same exact phrase. They're like bookends. It's a beautiful book. Hevel. Hevel. Vapor. Our lives are but a breath, friends. And church, one of the resounding messages in the first 11 chapters and the beginning of chapter 12, let's not find our hope and our satisfaction in the things of this world. They'll leave us empty. Let us come to Jesus so that we might experience the fullness of God that's found in a relationship with Christ. And so God is using the writer here, he's using the teacher to express all of these things, and I think it's beautiful Sometimes he uses other people, writers, poets, authors, some of us read authors, to express magnificent truths. And I came across this this week, and I thought it was beautiful, and it fit very, very well. A poet. Listen to this poem. When all of the world is young, lad, and all the trees are green, and every goose a swan, lad, and every last a queen. Then hay for boot and horse, lad, and round the world away. Young blood must have its course, lad, and every dog its day. When all the world is old, lad, and all the trees are brown, and all the sport is stale, lad, and all the wheels run down, creep home, and take your place there, the spent and maimed among. God grant you find one face there you loved when all was young. Hmm. What does aging and the inevitability of aging teach us about God? Our God is marvelously consistent. Billions will be born Billions will age, billions will die on this temporary stopping place we call earth. But God remains constant. Age has no effect on our God. Rulers rise up, rulers fall down. The kings of men die, empires rise only to crumble. The greatest men and women in all of history all face the same fate. So why even write? Why pass on this knowledge? Does it even matter? What is our writer doing? With this in view, what he does next is he moves to put his charter or his stamp on the book that he's beautifully brought together. 
He's going to both, in the next few verses, define the process he used to compile his writings, and he's going to describe the purpose for this particular collection. Take a look at verses 9 through 12. Verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The preacher, friends, was a teacher. And one of the goals for his writing was to show his students how to weigh or discern what was valuable. How do we mine through all of this material in life, all of the experiences the Lord gives us, all of the pages we read, all of the books that we study, how do we mine through it and find the most helpful pieces to pass along to the next generation? He wrote not only to show them what types of materials to collect, but then also how to arrange them and how to lay them out in a way that was profitable for gaining wisdom and insight. Look at verse 10. He tells us that he sought to find words of delight, speaking and writing things that would bring joy to his readers. He wrote words of truth. And in so many ways, the teacher is expressing his love to his students, to his readers, to us. Why do we write? Why do we seek to pass on knowledge from our life experiences? Why do we share information with one another? Church, this is a reality. Communication is one of the greatest and most visible ways that we can show love to another person. If you want to express your love to another person, one of the best and most simple, applicable ways we can do that is just to communicate with them. It was the pattern of our God to communicate with man. So too should it be our pattern. Giving people helpful information so that they can navigate through life successfully. It's a very loving thing to do. What did God do in Genesis 1? He spoke. And there was light. And then in John 1, the Word became flesh as the light of the world came. When God spoke, church, the lights literally came on. The lights came on. Not letting people wander around in the dark, bumping into walls and tripping over things that you know are going to hinder them. As a teacher, friends, as someone who communicates, as someone who desires to love through communication, the Lord uses you in people's lives to flip on the switch so that they don't have to bumble and trip around and run into the same things that you did in your life. And it's, it's not just communicating for the sake of hearing your own voice. That's not what the writer's doing. The writer's saying many things here. 
He's teaching many things, but we've all had those people that just like to talk to hear their own voice. And we think that that's pretty much why they're talking all the time. Just because they enjoy the sound. But truly being able to pick out the right words and the right information at the right time, that is most loving. Intentional, purposeful, careful communication. And it goes back to a principle that we talked about last week that related to how we talk to one another. Speaking small but clear. Saying a lot with a little words or few words. It is intentional communication, friends. It's most helpful. There's so much happening in life. There are so many that need words to help them to navigate the waters. Give people what is helpful. Let's do a quick experiment. Everybody have a pen and notepaper? We're going to do a quick experiment, all right? Take your pen and your notepaper, and I want you to write down this number. I want you to, I'm going to give you a number. No, it's not a phone number. Don't try to call me, all right? It wouldn't work. Not enough numbers in it. Everybody got a pen and paper? You're ready to write this down? 757,439. 757, comma, 439. 757, 439. You have two minutes. No, sorry. Ten seconds. You have ten seconds to talk to your partner about what that number is. Go ahead. Ten seconds. What's that number? Five, four, three, two, one. Pencils down. All right. Eyes back up here. 757,439. What does that number represent? If you said that that is the amount of words that are in the English Standard Version of the Bible, you were correct. For those of you that have a King James Version, let me alleviate your stress. And let me just say, you actually have an amplified version. Because your version has 770,430 words in it. What does this communicate? Our God, who is not bound by time and knows all things perfectly, past, present, and future. He has determined for the entirety of the church and the entirety of world history that these are the most important words for all of his people to have. That's what he's determined. Now here's some quick math to help motivate, encourage, and to strengthen your daily worship time with Jesus. If you take that number, 757,439, and you divide it by 365 days, how many words would you have to read in one day to read the entire Bible in a year? It's 2,075 words. Now if you read 2,075 words from your Bible every day, you'd read through the entire Bible in one year. And you may sit there and think, I could never read 2,000 words. Oh man, that would take me an eternity. How long does it take just an average reader to read 2,000 words? It has to be at least an hour. Seven minutes. (laughs) Add two minutes for a weak reader. That's nine. Ten minutes a day. 365 days a year, you would read through the entire 
Word of God. The most important message that He has for His people on earth. You could read it every year, the entire thing. If you spent just 10 minutes a day, if we spent just 10 minutes a day in it. And we would agree that the Bible is a great example of communication that's delightfully brought together. It's a beautifully written, upright delivery of truth. And the teacher is simply following the example of his God here. Uprightly delivering words of truth to his students. What a loving thing to do. Now as we sit here today, together as a body of Christ, all of us are receiving these words. We all receive the word of God. And God places people in our pathways in our lives to speak to us words of truth at difficult times to help us grow, to help us to learn. And there's a message for us here, for all of us who receive it. Listen. Listen. Listen, discern, and apply. Apply those words to your life. Don't ignore it. Don't be prideful and reject it as if we know it all and we don't need any help. Sometimes that happens. Do you ever experience that in your life? Jesus is trying to teach you something new. And you, you can't learn it, or it's taking you a long time to learn it because you fear that the way you used to think about it, you have to give all that up. Give it up. Jesus is trying to teach you something new. He's trying to instruct you from his word, and sometimes the way we understood things in the past needs sharpened, strengthened. Sometimes they need corrected. Allow Jesus to teach us from his word. Using his word to carefully walk through difficult places. This is what the gospel writers did. Is it not? The gospel writers were kind of like the writer of Ecclesiastes. At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, they had mounds and mounds of material. Imagine how big the gospels would be if they would have put everything that Jesus did in them. Look at what Luke said. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taking all the things that Jesus did and selecting what are the most helpful, what are the most useful, doing it under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit who was guiding and directing this entire process so that what was brought together was brought together accurately and without error. That's how he worked through the gospel writers. Look at what John did. This was one of our memory verses. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. There was a lot. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. For those of us in here who are teachers, there are many, be careful, and I include myself, that we're giving useful wisdom and advice. Being intentional with our words is important. They should be seasoned with kindness. We should be asking the question consistently to ourselves, and I ask this quite a bit, Teachers, we should always be asking us, what can I give that is most helpful? If Jesus doesn't bring anything to mind, 
sometimes it's best to just stay silent. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious. Season with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Speaking fitly, timely words. It's important. And for students, for learners, somebody, uh, one, of, one of our elders, he reminded me once, and he is right on, we're all students. <laughs> we're all students. We're, we, should always, we should always be students. We should always be learning. We should always be listening, looking to get as much as we can from what we're hearing from those who are teaching us. Listen to the wisdom in Proverbs. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. What does the writer of Ecclesiastes say these words are like in verse 11? What does he say? Words of wisdom serve as goads. Not goats. Not G-O-A-T. Goad. G-O-A-D. What's a goad? Some of you know what a goad is because you get it on Sunday morning from your significant other. (laughs) It's like a cattle prod. It's poking us. It's moving us along in life. It's helping to get us where the shepherd wants us. To lead us. The shepherd's leading us. And he uses those goads, those challenges to help move us. It's okay. Doesn't always feel good. Doesn't always sound nice and make us feel warm and fuzzy. That's okay. Then there's a word of caution at the end of this section in chapter 12. Remember how he talks about writing of many books? It's wearying, right? And there's some, I I fall into this as well, that say, look, I'm going to get as much knowledge as I can get. I'm going to read everything. I'm going to be an expert on the subject. I'm going to study all the materials. I'm going to know it all, get everything I can. So I'm ready to act. (laughs) He's saying, don't waste your time. (laughs) How about this? Jesus will give us what we need when we need it by the people that he puts in our pathways. Do we trust that? Do we hold to that by faith? That when we need something, Jesus will direct the exact thing that we need into our pathways, either by a person or maybe by a book. I like to read. But, but don't go at it thinking, I'm going to get all this knowledge, I'm going to become an expert, I'm going to be perfect in this field. The more you know, the more you learn that you don't know. And it's a vicious cycle going on and on and on. Stick to the old ways. Follow the ancient paths. Come from God's word. His word is all we need. He's given us everything we need in it. And if we truly believe that, then as a church, we can unite in becoming experts in his word. So that we can think his thoughts and speak his words. What a beautiful way for us to unite 
We can spend many years studying a subject thinking we have it mastered and then all of a sudden a piece of technology comes and flips the whole thing on its head. All those years of study feel like they're for naught. How much better for us, church, to get into His unchanging eternal Word so that we can hear from and see the heart of God as He communicated it Himself to us. There are many things that the world could give us honor for, for becoming experts in. But what should we really want to become experts in? As a congregation, as a body of believers. We can chase after a lot of things. The writer has told us these things are all meaningless because, they don't, because we don't belong here, church. This isn't our place. This is a temporary stopping part, point for a very small slice of our existence. Eternity is set before us. We have a forever home. Heaven is where our true citizenship lies. Everything we love here on earth will be taken from us. That's what he was talking about in the beginning of the chapter. All our little empires turned to rubble. And when that happens, we will be left with the greatest inheritance that one could ever imagine. Incorruptible, unfading, everlasting. So why hold on so tight down here to that which we know we must lose to gain eternity? Make much of God. And as we begin to make much of God, we begin to see His purposes and His reasons and His meaning for our existence here in this alien land. Hebrews 13, for here we have no lasting city. But we seek a city that is to come Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So now, the teacher is moving. He's going to make his final move here in chapter 12. He's crafted masterly a work and weaved in and out all kinds of different lessons through all different arenas of life. He's challenged us to fear God and enjoy life. He's unpacked the seasons of life in chapter 3. He's unpacked the trajectory of death at the beginning of chapter 12. He's weighed both the certainties and uncertainties of life. And now in the final few verses, as he turns down the home stretch, he answers the question, what is the purpose and meaning of life? And you'd think we could be here all day, but he does it in one sentence. He's a good teacher. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Period. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or or evil. Two massive conclusions, church, in verse 13. The heart of the matter is this. Fear God. It's not a scary thing. We've talked about it before. It's a thing where we stand in awestruck wonder of something that's beautiful but could also kill us at the same time, like, a, like Niagara Falls, or like a bear in the wild, or like a hurricane across an open field. Beautiful things to witness, but if you get too close, it could be gone like that. Fear God, 
keep his command. Stand in awe at the power and wonder of our great and mighty God and keep his word. Why have we been forgiven by Jesus and brought into a right relationship with the Father? Why? But with you there is forgiveness that thou mayest be feared. This wonder and awe should motivate within us great fear and great thankfulness. He has bore our iniquities with great patience. His kindness towards us has walked us to repentance. And as we've been brought to God through repentance and the forgiveness of our sins, so too should we walk that way in Him with great love and great humility. Keeping His commands then is not some obligatory duty that we must do like a checklist, but it becomes our very nature and our very desire loving others as we have been loved. Being motivated by Jesus' love towards us to lay down our own lives for our brothers and sisters, greater love has no man than this. The heart of the matter for the teacher here at the end of chapter 12, the heart of the matter, it falls perfectly in line with the command that Jesus gave, doesn't it? Doesn't it fall perfectly in line with that? It's so beautiful. Jesus said, a new command I give you. He gave two commands that summed up the whole law. Love God, love others. A new command I give you, love one another. For this is the whole duty of man. That we might come to be known as children of love with a nature of love. Our works, church, follow our love. Love leads and the work follows in our day-to-day lives and he closes in verse 14 reminding us that for every deed for every action for every word there will be judgment every secret thing whether evil or good and i must say church that that's not something for us who know the lord as our savior to fear that's a judgment we should be hopeful for because through jesus Our sins have been forgiven. His blood covered on the cross atoned for us. We can look forward to judgment with great hope of where our eternity lies. Our citizenship is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we are thankful today For this chapter in Ecclesiastes that so beautifully closes this book that this teacher has masterfully composed for us. Walking us to the heart of the matter. That the meaning and the purpose of our lives as we stand here on this earth is to fear you and to keep your commands. And Lord, we're so thankful that the commands of the Old Testament have been fulfilled in Christ And everything needs to be interpreted through the lens that Jesus gives us. The new command. Love. So Lord, as we go from this place today, as we leave, that is our prayer. Our prayer is that you would teach us how to love. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that we do not know how to love one another perfectly. We fail miserably some days. But Lord, falling into you, leaning into you, depending on you, you can teach us how to love better. And that's our prayer. 
Lord, might we love you with our words, with our actions, with our hearts as we go here today. Would you receive the glory and honor that you're due? In Jesus' name we pray.